0: Hello, and welcome back to this podcast series, where we have a look at pharmacy-related things. This time, we're going to go back into the comfort zone of critical appraisal. And not only will we have the familiarity of stats and papers, but we'll also have the familiarity of looking at Molnupiravir again, because this will be the third time we've looked at this COVID treatment. Is there actually anything left to discuss? Well, yes, obviously, else we wouldn't be going back again. The first time we looked at it was when the preliminary analysis of the MOVE-OUT trial was released. The second was when the full analysis was released. And now we have the preliminary analysis of Panoramic, the new study. Molnupiravir really is the gift that keeps on giving. So the plan is to refresh our knowledge on what Molnupiravir is and how it works, what we used to think, what we might think now, and why our opinions have changed almost as often as the chancellors of the Exchequer. And along the way, we might get to talk a little bit about Bayesian statistics and directness of evidence too. All sounds good, right? So first off, what is Molnupiravir and why are we interested in it? So, Molnupiravir was released back in the mists of Covid times as a potential treatment option early doors before people get sick enough to be in hospital. To oversummarise, Molnupiravir is a dodgy cytidine analogue that isn't spotted by other housekeeping enzymes and stuff that are designed to keep RNA synthesis clean. Molnupiravir is incorporated into mRNA where cytidine would be, but once in the strand, it behaves sometimes as cytidine, sometimes as uridine. This obviously messes up transcription, much like if your keyboard kept switching a quarter of your letters at random whilst you typed. This causes an error catastrophe in the virus RNA being produced, so you get non-functional virus and a cured patient. Yay! So that's the theory, but what did we see in the trials? Well, you could revisit the earlier podcasts if you wanted to give us some more streams, but for a summary... The first early analysis of the MOVE-OUT trial gave a reduction in risk of admission to hospital of 50%, which in the dark days of Covid sounded really positive. But was it really all that it seemed? Well, the answer to that turned out quite quickly to be no. When the full analysis came out, it turned out that the first set of data they had from the first group of patients through the trial wasn't that similar to the full data set. When they had the full data set, the numbers were markedly less impressive, with the benefit reducing from a 50% reduction in hospitalisation to a 30% reduction in hospitalisation, which is less good, but still sounds good, until you remember that this is a relative risk reduction, how much of the risk you have removed, not what percentage of patients will benefit. When converted into the absolute risk reduction, which is the fairest statistic, for every 100 patients you treated, only 3 would have had a different outcome. So not going to hospital, when with normal care they would have, 3% of people would benefit. Which doesn't sound great, but is better than nothing. And before Molnupiravir we had nothing as a treatment, essentially before ICU. So the government in the UK spent a lot of money, it's estimated by some to be about a billion pounds, on stockpiling the product and providing it as an option to patients. Which is similar to the FDA in America, but different to the EMEA in Europe where Molnupiravir isn't licensed yet. So why the different positions? Well, it's potentially to do with the concept of directness, which is how related to the patients we see are the patients in the trial, and the EMEA may have taken a different opinion to that of the MHRA. So directness is how directly related to our situation is the evidence we have. At first sight, it seems quite similar, but looking at the detail, you'll see that the patients in the move out trial were unvaccinated, whereas now it's a rare event to come across a high-risk patient without even one injection on board. So the question we need to ask is, is Molnupiravir as effective in patients with a vaccine in their arm, our patients, as for those without, the move-out patients? Now move-out didn't tell us, but luckily we have the cavalry on the horizon with the panoramic study. So what did the panoramic study look at? Well, it's easier to ask what it didn't look at, It's a complicated to describe study where different arms are added in and taken out in a dynamic way, so loads of treatments have been considered. But the bit we're looking at is the molnupiravir section. So as with all these things, it's worth first starting with a fast PICO analysis. Are we interested in this trial? So, population. People at high risk of adverse consequences if they catch COVID, who catch COVID and have had a vaccine. Yep, interested. The intervention, molnupiravir. Yep, got a billion pounds worth of stock in the cupboard to use up, so interested. Comparator is normal best care, which seems fair, and the outcome is not coming into hospital or dying within 28 days of catching COVID, which sounds like something patients would care about. So it all sounds perfect. It looks like the ideal trial for us. So then the next step is, can it tell us stuff reliably, which is about the quality of the trial. We won't go into the detail here as we don't have time but in summary, it looks quite good. So yes, we have a good level of trust in the results. So then we come to the last bit. What does it actually say? Well, it says quite useful things, but in quite complicated ways. The adjusted odds ratio for hospitalization or death within 28 days was 1.061 with a 95% Bayesian credible interval of 0.8 to 1.4, and a posterior probability of superiority of 0.34, which is the sort of language we don't often hear. Where's the p-value? Is the credible interval the same as a confidence interval? So the reason it looks odd and unfamiliar is that they've used Bayesian things rather than frequentist statistics, which is the stuff we're used to. However, all is not lost because though they are different, they may just make more sense. So the 95% credible interval is different to a confidence interval in that it's the range in which you're 95% sure the true population value lies which, if you're honest, is probably what you thought a 95% confidence interval was anyway. But it isn't, and if you have a free 5 hours and a friendly statistician, they can explain why at length. But we have neither, so you'll need to save that for another day. But given that what the credible interval actually is, is what we falsely think the confidence interval is, we can use our wonky thinking about confidence intervals for thinking about credible intervals instead. So if the credible interval contains the line of no difference, we can suggest that there's no difference between the trial and control treatments. So what's the line of no effect of an adjusted odds ratio? Well, it's odds, which we hate, but we can ignore that bit because the key word to seek out is ratio. And if two things have the same value, the ratio between them is always one. So risk ratio, odds ratio, any ratio, the line of no difference is one. So in this case, the credible interval runs from 0.8 to 1.4, which contains the line of no difference, 1. So we can agree that no difference between the treatments has been demonstrated, all without a p-value anywhere, which is nice. So after all this, we only have a short time to pull everything together. What can we say? Well, given the new data that Panoramic provides, we probably need to adjust our faith in Molnupiravir down yet again. Move Out was a reasonable trial, but panoramic is more directly linked to the people we see in relation to their vaccination status. Therefore, because it's more directly linked, we should probably now be saying that there's no evidence that molnupiravir reduces hospital admissions for our patients. Does it still have a place in therapy? Maybe, but its niche is shrinking by the day, which is disappointing for a medicine named after Thor's hammer, but them's the brakes, I guess. So if you want to read more, there's a really good write-up in the BMJ by Jackie Wise from the 11th of October 2022, where they go into more detail about the secondary outcomes and the potential for bias being introduced on these relatively subjective measures in an open-labeled study. It's highly recommended. But that's it from me for this week. Hopefully we've covered the key bits about the new evidence base for Perivere and how we maybe should be thinking even less of it than we did before. We've talked about how to pragmatically review a trial and maybe piqued your interest in learning more about Bayesian statistics. Maybe. Thanks and see you next time.